Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Voices of Forestry podcast. I'm your host, Seth Stevenson, the Communications Coordinator with the Arkansas Forestry Association. And this month, we are back with a brand new topic. And if you're listening, hopefully you haven't been scared off by the topic title just yet, but we are going to be talking about advanced genetics today in the forestry industry. So thank you for joining us. And before we introduce our guests, I want to give a special shout out and thank you to Arborgen for sponsoring this month's episode. We're going to hear a bit, a little bit more from them later on in the episode. But for now, let me introduce our guest. We have a recurring guest this month. It is Greg Hay, who is the reforestation advisor with Arborgen. He joined us back in April of 21 for the herbicide episode, and he's back to talk some uh, advanced genetics. So, Greg, thank you for joining me again. Thank you for having me. So, Greg, um, whenever we reached out to you guys to kind of see what you what Arborgen wanted to do for a topic, advanced genetics uh, was, I think, probably the first thing that <laughs> popped up. And yet, this is something you and I have talked about a lot because I find it very fascinating. Um, I didn't think I'd be doing a lot of uh, science talk when I started in this position, but here we are. So uh, I guess if we could, we, we need to start and talk, I guess, establish what advanced genetics is in regards to forestry uh, and give people kind of a base knowledge of what that means. So if you could, what, when we say advanced genetics in forestry, what are we talking about? Well, everything available for southern pines is genetically improved. That means that they are a product of traditional plant breeding, uh, the way humans have always been doing it since the dawn of agricultural age. Uh, advanced genetics, uh, the way I define advanced genetics, is how we've come beyond that additional improvement in genetics to offer more choices today than ever before for forest landowners that want to improve the productivity of their trees, the rust or disease resistance of their trees, the straightness and form of their trees, the salt timber potential of their trees. And now, something we talked about here before we hit hit record here we're not talking about this is not genetically modified products i guess this is that's not what we're talking about when we talk about advanced genetics in regards to forestry specifically correct correct uh, these trees have been selected and presumably tested for improved performance uh, for traits related to vigor adaptability economic value gmos are not used in forestry gmos genetically modified organisms. That just means taking a gene from one organism and through manipulation in a lab, putting it into another organism. So today, I wanna make it very clear there are no genetically modified organisms used in forestry. The only GMO trees available in the US are virus resistance papaya and plum trees. Uh, Again, uh, those are fruit trees uh, and that's what is primarily using GMO today, not forestry. And so when we're, when we're talking about forestry, we're meaning, you know, we're selecting trees that performed or grew well and using the seeds from that tree, right? Correct. Uh, today, the genetic options available for reforestation are basically four. First, you have your seed orchard mix, mm-hmm. which is fairly historical. You have 10 to 20 improved mother trees. It offers the lowest gain at the lowest cost. Uh, Then the next rung up the genetics ladder would be open pollinated. And open pollinated are where we have single improved mother trees again that are selected as superior mother trees in an orchard offering better gain and a slight cost increase because they have been proven through testing and performance. 
The next rung up that ladder is what we call controlled pollination, where we take a known superior mother tree and a known superior father tree. We collect the pollen from that superior father tree. We bag the flowers of that superior mother tree and inject the pollen into that bag so that we have a known mother and a known father, and we still expect then to have a much improved family of trees from that known mother and father. It's offering the best mother and the best father, so you're getting a higher gain and a little higher cost. But you're also getting a, a larger percentage of salt timber potential trees out there with that controlled pollination. With the open pollination, where we just know the mother tree, that's giving you a 20 to 50% uh, salt timber potential in your rotation. With controlled pollination, you're getting a 50 to 80% percentage of salt timber potential. And then the final rung up that genetics ladder is varietals, what we used to call clones, but clone had a negative connotation to it, so we followed the ag industry and used the word varietal. That's where we're taking a single tree, a superior single tree, we're mass producing that one superior tree, making millions of copies of it through uh, vegetative propagation process, either rooted cuttings uh, or tissue culture, that type of thing. And so the bottom of that ladder, if you will, is just taking the seeds from any and every tree. Out of an orchard, yeah. All the cones out of the orchard, uh, all together. Uh, it gives you a great variability of what those trees look like when they start to grow. Uh, and it might be great to have that kind of variability if you've got a small woodlot behind the house, mm -hmm. but if you're trying to grow your trees for a specific product, uh, whether it be uh, saw timber or cross-laminated timber or pellets, you probably want to have a greater volume gain in what you're gonna grow. So you're looking to a better form of genetics, either the open pollinated and we have different grades. We don't grade any longer by first generation, second generation, third generation. We don't sell by grade uh, by, by the time that it was selected. We don't sell by generation. We sell by family and every family is rated. Its performance is rated. So you can get information for the family that you select from anybody that is providing trees. And, and so what are some of the, I guess, things that the trees are being graded on what exactly is the uh, what what kind of information is that grading system providing to a landowner who, who may be interested in in that family that's a great question seth uh the trees are graded uh when you look at uh, judging the performance of a particular family we're looking at various traits first and foremost would be uh the uh, productivity of that particular family in terms of its volume gain and that would be measured in height, diameter, and the volume gain that that particular family gets over a check lot or a base. Mm -hmm. uh, the second thing that we look at is uh, disease resistance. Trees are now tested for fusiform rust resistance and pitch canker resistance. Another trait that we look at is uh, straightness. How straight is that tree? And it's generally measured with a eight foot straight edge against the bottom 12 foot of the stem. Another aspect that we look at in terms of traits is the uh, forking. Is, does it have a uh, incidence of high forking? Is it prevalent to fork or does it have a very low 
uh, incidence of forking. So it's rated not only in terms of its productivity, but its straightness, its reduced forking, disease resistance. We also look at traits in terms of the number of limbs that this particular family tree provides. Uh, are the limbs small or are they large? Are they producing a large knot or a small knot? Are they horizontal in terms of their structure against the tree space? Or are they got a sharp angle to them? A sharp angled limb is going to give you an oblong knot, so you're going to have more knotty material there, whereas a horizontal limb is going to give you a much smaller, tighter knot. And for those that may not be aware, all of this stuff affects the, and this may not even be the right term, but the, the, the usability of that tree to be create or turned into lumber or pellets or what have you, right? That is correct, Seth. We, we term that saw timber potential. Okay. So if a tree has got good straightness, uh, a low incidence of forking, uh, a lot of clear wood to it, we're going to give it a high mark for saw timber potential. In your open pollinated material at the lowest rung there, you're running uh, 20 to 50 percent saw timber potential. Control pollination, 50 to 80 percent saw timber potential. And when you get into varietals, greater than 80 percent saw timber potential. And so all of this, this it sounds it sounds wild to be quite honest with you, Greg. Because um, like I said, when I first when you and I first talked about this, I was just in awe of this. Because this is these are things that you hear in like cattle producing, and where you're you know heck even raising horses, you're taking a known mother and a known father, and you know uh, having them breed. But with trees, it just seems kind of wild to be quite honest. So how long? has advanced genetics been in the conversation when it comes to forestry? Well, uh, improved genetics have certainly been there for the last 50 years. Okay. It started with tree improvement programs uh, instituted by universities and large uh, timber companies that had integrated forest products companies at that time, mm -hmm. like International Paper Company, Warehouser Company, and others that had land base as well as mills. So they had production facilities and the land base to support those mills. And those large companies combined with universities developed the initial tree improvement program some 50 years ago. So it's not anything new, but we've really advanced through all the testing that's been done with thousands and thousands of tests out there. Okay. Well, Greg, um, I tell you what, let's take a quick pause here uh, and we're going to hear a little bit more from our sponsors this month, ArborGen. need some good advice. They can't do the job for you, but they can steer you right. The folks at ArborGen, I think, are really helping landowners to have a, a group of people that can show you how all the pieces fit together. And, and keep in mind our end product 20 to 25 years in the future. That's where you need an experienced team. And that's what helps us make money. And I think if you follow their uh, recommendations, uh, you're going to come out good on it. Thank you once again to ArborGen for their support of this month's episode. So, Greg, we've talked about a little bit of the, the, the benefits that having advanced genetics or 
trees uh, can provide. Essentially, you have as a landowner, you have a little bit more control over what you're producing uh, and not leaving it up to fate. But I, are there any concerns that you've had or you've heard from landowners? Because I know you've talked to a bunch of folks about this very topic, uh, you know, the people who are actually out there growing the trees. Typically, when I talk with landowners, Seth, uh, particularly private non-industrial landowners, mm -hmm. they express three major concerns. First being that this is new to them. Mm -hmm. They've never done this before. They've never had to reforest a track before. They inherited the track. They're having to get it site prepared. They're having to find a tree planter. Mm -hmm. they're, now they're faced with a plethora of options with which to, to plant out there. Mm -hmm. So they're a little bit uh, overwhelmed with all of the choices that they have to make in their reforestation program. Secondly, uh, they're a little confused by all of the genetic options available today. And third, uh, they're concerned that if they choose the wrong tree or the family of trees, that uh, they won't find out for 15 years before they find out that they, uh-oh, they made a mistake. Mm -hmm. uh, so those are the three largest concerns that I have uh, received when I talk with landowners typically. Okay, all right. And now, um, one thing too. So this this is a more expensive option than just the the, the bottom of the the ladder uh, trees or seedlings. So I guess is there any concerns from landowners for having, I guess, purchasing a, a I guess because when you I guess we should start back up a little bit because when when you're buying trees or when you're buying seedlings, it's a large volume that you're usually buying as a landowner. So I guess is there any concerns from a landowner? purchasing these more expensive advanced genetic trees uh, instead of what they're used to purchasing? Absolutely. Everybody has that concern about uh, investing in better genetics and will the genetics that they invest in give them a return on that investment that's uh, desirable. And when you look at the, uh, genetic, the return on investment, we've got a program that allows us to compare one form of genetics against another form of genetics, mm -hmm. different trees per acre, different stock types being planted to determine, well, what is that re revenue going to look like 24 years down the road? Uh, bare land value with uh, second generation orchard mix is going to run around $405 an acre. When you get up to varietals, you're looking at $1,500 an acre. So the the spread there is quite wide, yeah. running from you know a threefold spread in, in bare land value. The same applies to uh, net present value, uh, running from $300 to $1,100. Uh, you can look at the return as a return on investment, the ROI, that's also generated. So there are programs out here to allow you to compare one revenue against another depending on the family that you've selected mm -hmm. so i've oft, often get the question seth well how do i make that selection how do i choose uh, the first thing you want to look at is the provenance the seed source you want to make sure that if you're here in arkansas that you're planting arkansas source material mm -hmm. and the reason you want to use native material is because non-native material may be more susceptible to freeze damage so first off, look at the provenance. Plant Arkansas material in Arkansas. The second uh, choice that you might want to make in selecting that family 
is taking a look at the genetics. Do you want to use open pollinated, controlled pollinated, or varietals? And that's going to depend on what your objective is. Are you trying to grow pure volume? Are you servicing a pulp mill nearby? Or are you going to service perhaps a, a chip and saw mill nearby or a saw timber mill nearby? What product are you trying to grow for? That will help you choose the genetics that you're looking for, whether it's open pollinated, controlled, or varietal. And the last thing that you'll want to take a look at is uh, perhaps the stock type, bare root trees or a containerized plug. Uh, they both have their advantages and disadvantages. But uh, those are the three basic decisions that you're going to make in choosing what genetics to apply out there. When people ask, well, what should I plant? Well, my answer typically is it depends. Talk to me about what your objective is out here. And when I know what their objective is, talk to them a little bit more about their land base, what kind of soil they have, what county it's going in. Is it going to be on a upland site or is it going to be a flatwood site? All of those things come into play when, ma when you're making that decision. So let me ask you this. This brings up kind of an interesting, interesting question. Are advanced genetics for every forest landowner? Like if, if, I'm, if I'm out, if my goal on my property is wildlife habitat, advanced genetics may not necessarily be for me, correct? Is it just for the folks who are wanting to grow timber to cut it down and sell off? The genetics in terms of the, the wildlife habitat improvement, uh, what plays a larger part in that wildlife habitat improvement is the number of trees per acre that you're planting and the spacing of those trees that you're planting and the continued silviculture treatments that you apply to that land to improve that habitat. If you're onto a regular burning program, for instance, Seth, mm -hmm. that's going to open up that forest floor, allow turkey chicks or quail chicks to move through that, that ground. It's going to provide more browse that has a higher nutrient content for, for browse for deer. So those kind of activities, timber, tim timber stand improvement activities, are really going to impact your uh, wildlife habitat improvement. But it's true that not the highest genetics, you wouldn't want to plant varietals mm -hmm. uh, on a broadcast basis across a landscape scale area because when you're planting a varietal, you're planting one tree. So if you have an insect infestation that particularly likes that one varietal, you've destroyed a lot of acreage. Whereas if you plant a uh, controlled pollinated, which has less variety to it, uh, I mean uh, more variety than a varietal, or if you plant open pollinated, which even has greater variability than controlled pollinated, you're minimizing that risk or mitigating that risk from insect and disease on a landscape scale basis, which is why we advise when you're planting varietals, plant one stand with a varietal and you'll achieve the greatest benefit from that varietal genetics on that stand but on an adjoining stand you would plant a different variety to mitigate that risk of insect or disease okay all right well um well greg i think um one of the last questions that i have for you as we kind of start wrapping up this conversation i think this is all good i was worried because you and i had to sit down and talk about making sure this wasn't too uh to in the weeds, if you will, of a topic, because advanced genetics, that title can be a little scary, but I think we've, I think we've pretty much nailed it. 
and this might be a stupid question to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Do you see advanced genetics trees becoming more widely, I guess, accepted or used by landowners in the future, near or far? Absolutely. To give you a, an idea of the comparison between agriculture and forestry and the adoption of genetics in the 20s and 30s, corn was achieving about 25 to 30 bushels an acre in the 20s and 30s. With the adoption of hybridization of corn at the turn of the century, they were producing over 160 bushels to the acre. In 1940, the agricultural industry was at a 20% adoption of hybridization. Today, forestry is at a 20% adoption of advanced genetics uh, with regards to controlled pollination. Most folks that have seen the controlled pollinated families out there and seen what they look like 10, 15 years down the road, they're adopting it in a very broad scale. But we are at the tipping point right now. Here we are 80 years following agriculture. Of course, our rotation is much longer, but we're at a 20% adoption rate. We're at the tipping point. Brazil, 100% varietal. Uh, New Zealand, very much varietal, if not 100%. Uh, high percentage of their forests are all varietal forests. So we're getting there. We're a little bit slow at adopting it, but right now we're at the tipping point. And yes, I see a greater adoption of the advanced genetics moving forward. Okay. Well, Greg, is there anything else that you want to say or add before we start wrapping this up? Well, I can say that landowners have never had so many options when it comes to planting genetically improved pine seedlings you have the ability today to design your forest, not only in terms of uh, the genetics that you apply, but the product that you're growing for, your access to that product, your spacing and density that you're selecting for that product. Better genetics means bigger volume gains, better stem quality, so you are reducing your risk when you're growing that kind of increased volume and better genetics. Choosing the right genetics uh, for your situation can be confusing, and that's why we uh, highly advise you to get with somebody that knows genetics and be sure that when you are choosing your family that you get the documentation, the performance documentation for that specific family, which is available, whether it's North Carolina Tree Improvement uh, Co-op's uh, performance rating system or the Western Gulf Tree Improvement Co-op's performance score sheets. It's available for that individual family that you're planting. And just like most every other episode that we have on this show, um, you know, there are, we want to beat this drum one more time. There are always people out there like Greg. If you have any questions or if you need assistance, that can provide help and, and kind of help talk you through stuff like this. Because this is a lot. Uh, it's, it's a lot just by the nature of it. But there are people out there who are very knowledgeable like Greg who can uh, help you out if you are a landowner interested in something like this topic. Uh, but, Greg, I, I want to thank you again. You're one of our few repeats uh, on this show, but I want to thank you for joining me and help holding my hand as we walk through this this difficult topic. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, and we want to thank you guys for joining us this month as well. Um, 
And of course, we want to make sure we give a special shout out one more time to Arbogen for their support of this episode. And as always, a special thank you to some guy named Rob slash Rob McCormick for the use of our theme song, The Same Love. That's off of his album, The Folkster. And we'll have a link to his stuff uh, in the description of this episode. And you can find more of his music on Spotify if you are a Spotify user. And if you want more information on the Arkansas Forestry Association, you can find us at arcforest.org. That's A-R-K-F-O-R-E-S-T-S. Org. And make sure you join us next month when we'll have a new topic, a new discussion, and a new voice of forestry.